not a terrorist. Stick up for the First Amendment. Nobody voted for you. Went to Lafayette Square. Yeah. First Amendment. Cause Trump don't care. November vote blue. Get the kids out of the cages. Get out and vote. And increase our wages. Come on now. Welcome back to Nahar in America. We've got a special guest today, Frankie Quinones, one of the funniest guys I know out there. He's been in the game a long time. We call a, a road warrior because he's always on the road. And recently, he just did a movie with Mario Lopez, so we're going to talk about that next. Ladies and gentlemen, Frankie Quinones. How you doing, brother? Hey, what's up, Rick? How you doing? I'm good. I'm doing good. So tell me about this movie you just did with Mario Lopez up in Lake Tahoe. Yeah, it, was, it was fun, man. I mean, it's fun to see you there. <laughs> yeah. No, and then, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was fun to be up there for a few weeks. And um, yeah, and then Melissa Joan Hart was a director who, mm-hmm. who I used to watch a lot growing up. Yeah. And she was cool. She was Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah. And then Clarissa explains it all. Like me and my sister used to watch that back in the day. Wow, look at that. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, she was cool, man, you know, and then I know Mario a while, so I was grateful to get work during the pandemic, but also uh, yeah, it was fun to be out in Tahoe and just um, have a good time and not, make a movie. You know, I mean, I don't know if you felt the same way, but Christmas movies during a pandemic, people need that. You know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. And I, th- I think that's that was a great part about it, is that we're actually entertaining people, and I know it's coming out in December on Lifetime, but it really is a beautiful story. Felice Navidad. And you were great at it. I mean, you got me laughing the whole time. It's hard to keep a straight face watching you from that camera. And uh, it was great. You got the stand-up life. You got all that road. But, you know, what's the big aspiration in, in that you really want to do? I don't know. I, you know, I would love to keep doing stand-up. I know it's kind of a weird time for that right now. But yeah. It's social uh, distance stand-up. Yeah. <laughs> so so you, uh, you can heckle, but you got to be six feet apart. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you take a couple feet back, man. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Don't get too close. So is there the is there a future that you see that you really are, are moving toward or or are you feeling you're moving in that direction? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I love I love acting. I love you know doing what we did. Is you know, I'd love to sell sell a show, do some character work on a TV show. It'd be great. No, I, I think it, it's all everything's pointing toward that direction. I mean, I I see you just keep moving up and and working hard. I mean, it's it's a simple formula. Work really hard all the time it starts to catch up and that's what you've been doing you i mean you have a character that, that everyone seems to love creeper from cholo fit which is you know a great character how'd you come about with that character uh well yeah the first video i did with creeper was probably almost 10 years ago and then uh you know he wasn't as polished up as he was now but it's just based off so my dad is like an old school cholo and he, he you know he always had a low rider my nino my godfather was a you know president of a low rider car club for a long time mm-hmm. and they're both just like old school cholos, but real positive dudes. You know, like my dad is one of the most positive people I know. But he, you know, just always Chuck Taylors, Dickies, always had a lowrider. And so Creeper is just kind of an extension of that. And then, you know, a mixture of my cousins and just people I grew up around. But yeah, yeah, he's, you know, obviously Creeper's, you know, he's a fitness instructor. So he's just trying to get you in shape and make you feel good about your life or whatever, you know, so... <laughs> <laughs> it makes you feel good, but wait, he has a special way of doing it. I mean, he really gets people involved in this. Uh, he does some exercises that I think, you know, can you explain to our audience what, what, what a creeper session would be like? 
His most famous one is the Cholo squat. You know, you do kind of the gangster pose and then, you know, you, you drop it down nice and slow. You really got to represent. But, he, you know, he's real, you know, he teaches how to use a proper technique. You know, you carry your feet a certain way, keep your back straight, your chin up. Mm-hmm. You know, people laugh at it, but if you do enough proper Cholo squats, you know, like you'll be hurting, man. You get sore and it's a real workout. Earlier was the Pachuco stance, then it turns to the Cholo squat. I mean, it's like you, you see this evolution of our physicalness. And then, of course, the supreme thing was when Arnold Schwarzenegger got together and made a half Latin, half German child and that kid uh is huge you know so it's a lot of oh, mu- yeah. a lot of muscles on that guatemalan kid you know it's amazing i mean he's just when you saw him i was like no that's arnold's kid that's definitely arnold's kid oh yeah you could tell right away yeah, yeah I seen that <laughs> when a guatemalan kid starts lifting 400 pounds you started looking and going, wait a minute something's yeah, weird hold on here but how are you seeing um what's going on right now with comedy you feel that you know people talk about this cancel culture. Is it people warning you about comedy, saying be careful what you talk about and all that sort of thing? Yeah, man, it's definitely a sensitive time, you know. But you know, I guess I understand a lot of it. But then lately, I feel like it's just been, ah, oh, man, just a little too much, man. Right? You know, it's just like, come on, especially for comedians, you know, like stand-ups, you know, and it's like. Especially when we're joking. It's like, first of all, it's a joke or we're joking around. People just can't take jokes like they used to. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, I've never been like too dirty or too, you know, harsh on anything or, you know, but even even I get shit, you know, sometimes like, oh, you're just your characters are just stereotypes and you're setting us back or, or that's offensive and, and I'm like, what? I mean, it's like, you know, versus somebody like Creeper, I'm like, this fool's trying to get you in shape and he wants to do a meditation after, like, how is that offensive? Yeah. You know? but, it's like, but they'll find something. People will always find something, especially nowadays. They're looking for it and they find it and then they, they run with it. I even just hate that word cancel, like cancel, you know, like da-da-da. It's like, shut up, homie. Like, You're absolutely right because what Creeper is, and I, you know, I did characters back in the day in Latino Logs where I had a character called Slow Guy. I had met mm. Slow Guy while I was doing a movie. He was a, he was like a gang member in a gang. And what happened was they were filming me, and, and of course I do not look like the biggest gang member of all time. And I've been playing a gang member, and I hear this, "Hey man, he ain't no gang banger. He, he ain't for real, man. He he, he he ain't no gang banger. He ain't down." And I hear this, there's like ten guys from this gang. I'm not gonna say their name because I have a lot of them listen to this show and they really like it. But there are about ten of them there. I looked and I turned to the security guard and I go, "Hey, listen, if there's gonna be some trouble. You can be able to handle this." And he goes. Hell no. He goes, they pay me minimum wage. <laughs> I'm, I'm out the door right away. You're on your own. And so I looked at these guys and I'm like, hey, you want to get your picture taken with me? And they're all like, yeah, yeah. And they all came down. They got my picture taken with me. Treated me great. We, you know, we kind of became friends. I got them working on the set and all that stuff. Because we were shooting in their, in their hood, right? In their home. And it was amazing to see this and to go, these characters, if I had written them, People might say, oh, that's stereotypical. But the truth is they exist. Creeper exists. I've seen Creeper. Yeah, yeah. I know that guy. So it's not like you're taking something, a fictional character, that there is no basis of it. There is a basis of of Cholos. There's a basis of this world. It's a question really is if that's all the characters you do or all the characters that are out there. And that's not the truth. I mean, you're one of the aspects of what being Latino is. I'm applauding you for what you do. I will back you up. I will back up Creeper anytime. I don't know how right good on, a fighter I'd be. I appreciate it, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'll, I'll throw down at some club, wherever it is, and they start heckling you. I'll be out there. I'll be like, you know, Creeper. Creeper's good. I'll stand up for you. Now, I don't know how long I'll last. It may not be. It may be a quick fight. It may just to be real. It may be. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I got your back. Oh, okay. Um. I'm, I'm going. I'm going way back. <laughs> okay. I got your back. I got your back in California. Call me when you get when you land. Okay. Good luck. <laughs> 
that's what I'd be doing. How are you going to adapt to this pandemic? What are you going to do with uh, in terms of comedy now? Well, yeah, I mean, at first it was just like, obviously everything was just completely shut down. Now, you know, we figured out ways to still work on content. And a lot of the stuff I've been doing lately has just been outdoors, you know, like just for the skits and stuff. Just keep it outdoors, keep it minimum, the mm-hmm. amount of people, you know, just kind of doing things that way. But uh, starting uh, next month, I have a, a space that I'm running so I could, you know, make my own little sets and stuff and produce content that way. And then I could, you know, also just have control of who goes in and out and stuff. But Smart. But, uh, you, you get a little temperature thing? Check the check the temperature as they come in and out? Nah, I'm not, <laughs> not going to do all that, but yeah, try as best I can to keep it safe. But. You're going to be the COVID psychic. You're like, you know, I sense you got some COVID there. I just sense yeah. a little COVID, you know? <laughs> Just come and check in real quick. Are you going to take my temperature? Nah, nah. Just let me, let me feel your vibe real quick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, your vibe. Ooh, vibe smells. I get a lot of viral vibe from you right now. I, yeah. I can't let you in my space. I got a lot of viral vibe. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I think we're all, we're all adjusting. I feel that, you know, one group, us especially, Latinos, we adjust. We adjust. Oh, yeah. It's hard. We'll make it work. No, we, we, will, we will make it work. We will figure out how to work. I mean, most of the frontline people that are, are coming down with COVID have actually been Latinos because we're, we're out there in the, in the places working. I mean, we, haven't, we didn't get the, the big check to stay home and, and relax. Uh, we knew from day one we had to be working. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's particularly hard on our people. But I think there's hope. I really do. And guys like you that bring in comedy and make us laugh, uh, I call you a frontline worker too. So I'm, I'm giving you a big salute. Big salute, oh, brother. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate it, man. Back at you. And listen, so we'll be looking out for you when you come out in Feliz Navidad. A great talking to you. And let's just keep it up. I'm, I'm, I'll be following your career and, of course, supporting you, brother. Supporting you. Oh, that's what's up right there, Rick. Thank you, homie. I appreciate it. Yeah. Frankie Quinones, everybody. Frankie Quinones. Thanks a lot, brother. Yeah, thank you. You're listening to the Nahara in America podcast. We bring you the news so you don't have to. There's no border we won't cross to bring you the news. We won't social distance you from the news you need. The podcast that isn't afraid to tell it like it is to people who aren't afraid to hear it like it is. Nahara in America, stay tuned. Something new is always happening. Hi, I'm Rick Nahara. Welcome back to Nahara in America. You know, when I get to travel throughout the country, I get to meet a lot of really interesting folk. Some of the most interesting people I meet, I like to bring on the show for one reason. They're a different perspective and different thoughts. And one of the people that's most unique I've run into is Manny Ruiz. Manny is one of those people that you look at and think, how does he do it? But he does it every time. I met him years ago during Hispanicize, which he created. I'm going to talk about what's going on in the world today and how he sees our future, because that's what he deals with the future. Manny, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate having you and talking to you anytime. I have a big question. You're going to do Calle Ocho online this year. Now, that's a pretty revolutionary thing. Tell me a little about that. Well, you know, as you can imagine, Calle Ocho Live, it is the largest event in the country every year for Latinos, or certainly those that love music. It's the largest music festival with more than a million attendees every year. They were impacted by COVID with three days left to their show. They had to cancel their 27 block festival. And so ironically, they canceled their show on the same day that I found myself canceling our Retro Pop Con 80s convention here in Miami. Mm-hmm. And we approached them over the summer and said, look, what if we help you translate as best as possible, of course, and creatively as possible, the Calle live experience to a live stream world. We've been working now for about a month and a half and on October 
October 4th on a Sunday, which is when they normally would do their Cayocha Festival, we will be producing the first ever Hispanic Heritage Month edition of Cayocha. And it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be epic in a cool way. First of all, you're taking people from the streets, Cayocha, and you're putting them, watching this and experiencing it on their computers. You have to be more creative because, you know, in a world that is seeing uh, a lot of Zoom performances, you know, people just throwing the guitar on screen and appearing before these audiences that are consuming them on your, their cell phone and computers, you got to push the envelope. You got to do unique things. So one of the things that we did, we said from day one, we don't want to be just another live stream. Uh, we don't want to be another festival that's just gone on screen. And by the way, not not to knock on any of them because they're good and, and people certainly need it. But what we're doing, I think, is, is pushing the envelope in various ways. So, you know, all of it was safe distancing. So, for example, we're going to do two virtual duets with two of the most iconic music artists of all time who passed away and new contemporaries that will be singing with them in our broadcast. That's incredible. That's so cool to do that. Yeah. And I'd love to tell you two of them, but I'll give you audience. One of them is going to be Tito Puente with his son, Tito Puente Jr. So we have another one that's a very marquee person who passed away, uh, but is massive star. This person will also get a virtual duet with a major superstar from today. So this is just an example of the things that we're doing creatively to push the envelope on the live stream world. Another thing that we're doing is we're going to have a dance contest. We're going to do a conga challenge. We're looking at doing a croquetazo, which is a croqueta eating contest. Okay, hold a sec. Now, conga is by nature not social distance. You, you know that, right? <laughs> well, it is if you if the participants are married or, you know, they, where they're together. So okay. obviously we're going to recommend that it be two people that are social distancing together, if you will. But, okay. you know, interestingly enough, Cayocho broke the record for the largest conga line, uh, Gloria Stefan did. I think it was in 1988. It was more than 200,000 conga line dancers. So, I, I know yeah, that we, well. We're going to bring that spirit and really bring it alive in a very dynamic way with great, great music artists uh, as well that will be part of the show and celebrities as well. I knew about the conga line because I took Latino studies and it was in our history, uh, one of the great history moments of Miami. How long was the conga line? I think it was 240 yeah. to 270,000 yeah. uh, dancers, line dancers. Now, we can get 270 line dancers to do a conga line. I hope we can get people to wear masks. That's all ask because that's no, no no we're not we're not going to touch that with a 100 foot pole we just got to be very safe <laughs> you know it, it's it's really weird to think that we're in a world not only that has had these months of no gathering right yeah but that this probably very likely will extend way into next year if not the entire 2021 and i know that we can't think about that but it's one of the reasons why the kiwanis tapped my company retropop media to do this because they said you know what because this looks like the new reality we need to start doing that this year and then just build into a second and even better second next year when we do this again. Because it looks like, guys, we're going to be in this for a while. It's not looking good. Same time, not to turn everyone down. One thing about pandemics and things like this, people actually grow from it. The Black Plague started in the Middle Ages, wiped it out, and then all of a sudden you have the Renaissance. So I see the silver lining. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. You're a man that's always been future thinking. I mean, you thought up Hispanicized before anyone did. You saw that years ago, and look how you grew that, the power house it is day. Now, John Leguizamo took it on over, right? They have new people there. You know, obviously, we don't really connect with them. Unfortunately, they, they have very different philosophy to running mm -hmm. that company. So I wanted to build my own legacy differently than, than what they did. I'm you know, obviously very proud of what we did with Hispanicize and its glory days. And you know, now there's other players that are, you know, have mimicked Hispanicize, Ingenuity, for example, and so Trujillo. And these people have learned a lot from what we did with Hispanicize. And I think that there's some of the people to look at towards the future. 
for the type of Hispanicized model. In my case, I've been really focused on the world of nostalgia and major throwback conventions for the 80s and 90s. That's really the little kid in me speaking of sorts in business. But because of COVID, by default, and because of my background in building Hispanicized and producing events, I've sort of fallen into this place where I'm helping other Latino organizations do their things on live stream. You know, in Cayocho, of course, being probably the largest thing that we would ever be associated with because of the sheer size of the festival. I mean... I thought I was not in the Hispanic market anymore, but I am, and I'm going to probably stay here. To, I'm going to be here to stay for a long time, and I, I've, I've actually have really grown close to the people from Kiwanis in the Little Little Havana who who created uh, Cayocho because they have an idea with Cayocho moving forward to transform it more and more into the Coachella Latino. No, it's a very powerful idea. Well, I mean, first of all, you've been in the Latin market. I think I believe you're born into the Latin market, uh, like me. <laughs> That's kind of what what does it. We're good friends, you know. You come from the Cuban side. I'm from the Mexican West Coast side. I think it's us working together and people like us working together is, is really the future of what Latino is in America. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's, it hasn't hurt that I'm married to a beautiful and very powerful Texas Latina. We're a Cumex family, very proudly so in this house. My wife uh, has helped me be certainly much more open and and understanding what we do as a Latino community needs to embrace all of the shapes and colors and, and everything of our community. So this is coming up in October and you're going to go, you're going to still continue with the NostalgiaCon and all that sort of work. Do you see us going in the future of things just moving to almost an interactive Zoom kind of world and less public? No, I think to your listeners, I would say you should prepare for a, a long haul here with the social distancing and at least no large gatherings. And that has a lot of implications. You know, if you own conventions, if you own uh, restaurants, if you own venues, banquet halls, anything that has to bring 50 or more people together, I think you really need to diversify your thinking and how you're going to make money and how you're going to make a living. Because this virus, you know, even with a vaccine, let's say a vaccine came in on March or, or February, there's still going to be a lot of time for people to get used to taking it. You know, there's a big timeline. And I think we're going to be in this world for sure into 2022. But what it's definitely going to happen and it's already happening with the growth of telemedicine meetings i think you're going to have a lot of industries that are so deeply impacted you know uh, major offices that people used to rent for hundreds or thousands of employees i think a lot of people are going to get used to like working from home mm -hmm. or being super productive from home i foresee a big big shift to work from home that's going to be with us even past the pandemic well first of all it's really hard for latinos in particular to social distance uh that's why we have so many children well that, that's why we have it so much because in our families i mean and I speak for my own family. We've had eight people in my family with COVID. Wow. Right? Eight people. And I could tell you a lot of it is because we are hardheaded and we are so... You know, Latino social and distance for Latinos is like it just doesn't exist. We're very touchy feely type people. And so I think that unfortunately this is gonna be with us for a long time. But the good thing is I think it's also helped us I've certainly have had more time and quality time with my daughter and my mm -hmm. wife than I probably would have if we were always on the go or traveling. Yeah. This has really made me see, you know, like why am I traveling to LA and New York as much as I do right now? I mean, unless I'm there to see friends or vacation post the coronavirus, I will be severely cutting back on travel. And I think that there's a lot of people that I think just like me. We're appreciating people. We're appreciating yeah, connection. We're, we're appreciating And, and people touch. are getting used to, you know, one of the biggest shifts that's happened that I would never have seen happen before is it's becoming now almost custom to do a Zoom video call. 
yeah. for business. Yeah. I'm on the phone with all sorts of people, all different ages. And even if they don't have their hair done or whatever, people are like, you know what? I don't care. I'm working and they're not looking like terrible, but no, it's, uh, not everybody is necessarily like all primed and proper. They're like, you know what? It is what it is. I'm home. And it's really refreshing that people have been taking a little bit of the Instagram perfection away from life yeah. to just be people. Yeah. I look at that way. It's good. Luckily, you can't smell me through Zoom, but I'm surviving and so are you. So <laughs> great having you on the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to see what you're doing. Keep it up. Kaye Ocho in October. Thank you so much. Right, Many ways. Thank you. Have a good day and tune in on October 4th. October 4th. Kaye Ocho Live. I'll be there. Thank you. Naharan America. Stay tuned. Jay. Do I sound good? You sound great. Bo, perfect. Okay, welcome back to Naharan America. Our next guest is Jacqueline Camacho Ruiz, a marketing PR expert. She's the CEO of her own firm. She's a book publisher, and on her spare time, she's a pilot. You're basically a woman that has never been without a job. That's the best way to describe you. You really care. You have a heart for Latinas. You have a heart for people. I just want to say, great to have you here. And now, tell us a little bit what you've been up to. Thank you. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm so honored to be here. You know what? I was just taking a micro moment to reflect on the magic that has happened even in the middle of the pandemic. One of the main things that I've been up to is elevating stories of more and more and more Latinas. I'm in the middle of about six other books that will be published before the end of the year that will have my name as the main author and a lot of contributing authors that support it. So for example, uh, in just about a few days, I am launching a historic book. This book is going to be highlighting the stories of Latinas in the world of aviation, which as you know, it's very, very rare. Yeah. In fact, this type of book has never been done before to really hone in and the brave women, aeronautical engineers, pilots, commercial pilots, general aviation pilots, AMPs, veterans that are coming into the aviation world in a men-dominated world, in, in a world where not a lot of people get into for many reasons. Little did I know getting into this and opening up this amazing door was going to grant us the support of a lot of different multinational corporations, a lot of interviews around the United States and the world. And I'm in the middle of this, right? Mm-hmm. It's like I had a, a divine download. I acted on it. I followed through on it. I made it happen with the team. And now we're making history with this Latinas in book. Very honored. Wow. Following that, I have Today's Pirate Young Latina, Volume 2, mm. which uh, was an amazing success and one that you know about very well. Sure, it was in New York you with you, New York Times. an amazing supporter oh, thank of you. this book that, you know, you were able to help us secure Edward James Olmos to do the preface of oh. this amazing book. As we know, Edward James Olmos has always been a supporter of literature and the youth to have them support these young Latinas, ages, you know, 16 to 25 that were part of this book was absolutely amazing. Edward James almost has always had his book fair. He, he does this work. I, I know you have. How many authors have you have you published so far? Wow. I was kind of doing the math. Uh, I think last time we did it about a month ago, we were looking at about 289 women 200, that were part of this. 89 women. And, oh, 200. Yeah, 289 women that have been part of, you know, different series. Uh, Today's Inspired Latina, Today's Inspired Young Latina, Latinas in Aviation, all combined. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to launch Volume 7, 8, and 9 of mm. Today's Inspired Latina with a waiting list for Volume 9, 2021. Today's Inspired Young Latina Volume 2 coming 
hang out. 16 amazing young ladies sharing their stories. And it just keeps growing. The family keeps growing. Uh, I'm also creating partnerships with other entities like We're All Human. And for example, right now, we're featuring the stories of 80 amazing Latinos and Latinas around the world in this book called Hispanic Star. And that was something that I, as a publisher, as I attended an event at the United Nations as a delegate of the Latino Leadership Summit, I approached the organizer, Claudia Romo Edelman, and I said, we need to tell the stories through a book. And that's something that I know how to do very well because I've been doing this. In fact, I was actually questioning, like, why am I doing here? Why am I at the United Nations? Invited as one of the delegates when I'm like, we had amazing people there. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm probably one of the youngest people there. And like, what am I doing here? Right. And she said, you're a pioneer of storytelling. Yeah. That's the reason why I invited you, because you've been elevating women, elevating their stories for years. That's the reason why you deserve a seat at this table. And um, I told her, I said, we need to share the stories of the people in your constituency. Mm-hmm. And finally, after a few months, she said, yes. So now we're getting ready to launch that book, too. That is I'm basically the publisher for. So that's not part of my 18 books that I've published you know, under my name, but it is definitely a published you know, book that that will be on their, you know, at a publishing house. I mean, 18 books. So very is, excited about that. I mean, it's incredible. 18 books. And you're also going to venture into male inspirational stories as well. Yes. Yeah, we have the Today's Inspired Leader series mm-hmm. that we're getting ready, you know, to feature you on volume two. I'm writing it right now. Yeah. And you know what? The inspiration continues. I think that's, that's part of it. You know, sometimes you choose a mission and sometimes a mission chooses you. And I've had the honor of publishing almost a hundred books for other independent authors. And that, you know, to be the catalyst that helps them see something on a napkin and say, I have a book. I'm like, you don't. <laughs> you don't have a book yet. You have a napkin yeah, you with some not scribbles yet. on it. You say not yet. Yet, you know, it means they will have a book. That's the good thing about you. You're, you're very much about this is going to happen. You, you see it. You're a visionary, which is part of leadership is having a vision. I think it was uh, sort of one of those things of nature. You know, my mom always had all these amazing books laying around. You know, unbeknownst to me, I was creating a, like a little, I was becoming like a little monster or a little, you know, in- experiment of personal development because I used to devour these books from Del Carnegie, Napoleon Hill, Zig Ziglar, Agmandino, right? And I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things that was very shocking to me was that, you know, they were talking about how your success will be in direct proportion to how many people you help become successful or you help get enough people what they want and you'll get what you want. And I I didn't understand that because I thought, you know, you had to focus on yourself and your dreams and your goals and your objectives. You know, as I started growing older and I started to get a taste of service, I started to notice that something magical would happen every time. Every time that I opened up my heart and I donated 100% of my scholarship that I got in Mexico, 150 pesos that I got to the, you know, to buy kids for the neighborhood, I would be so fulfilled even though I I had a lot of necessity. I mean, I didn't even have proper shoes and things, you know, mm-hmm. and I didn't have that. I started getting a taste of that magic and that feeling of service. And I've been leading with that. And long story short, I've, uh, I've experienced uh, the accelerators of a lot of different things because I've always led with service. Yeah. And at, at the core of everything I do, I'm a servant leader. Yeah. And then everything sort of falls up around it. But you're, you're also, one of your things is you're a pilot, you know, pilotina. And you're going to do a pretty historic race coming up. 
Well, the historic race here in uh, in 2020 got canceled due to the pandemic. So a couple of weekends ago, I gathered uh, with the captain of my team and another young Latina. So two Mexican pilots, one Colombian. And we basically did an event at a local airport here in Illinois. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, COVID style, obviously, we had to, you know, keep social distancing. Yeah. But we had about seven planes. So three of us were flown by us, were getting rides. Teddy bears and inspiration. That was my kind of my idea. Elevate your alas mm-hmm. event. You know that I came up with as a fix because I couldn't cross the United States on a plane, so I had to come up with something kind of, you know, more, <laughs> you know, I guess, at a smaller scale. You're adjusting. But, um, you know. Now you've had these books, you've got all of these things going on for you. What's what are we going to see from you in the next year? I feel uh, complete, you know, every day of my life, and I feel like I'm living my purpose in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And um, so I want to continue to do more of that. I want to continue to listen to my divine downloads. I want to continue to be the pilot in command of my dreams. I want to be the pilot in command for other people's dreams so that they can see what I see from above. They can see further away. I mm-hmm. want to continue to stay objective, hardworking, humble. I want to continue to serve people. I want to continue to hop from divine download to divine download so that I can manifest, you know, many dreams. Um, a lot of people call me a dream catcher, and I want to live up to that name. And I just uh, want to continue to serve. I mean, that's that's what drives me. Oh, At the yeah. end of the day, I love to manifest, mm-hmm. and I love to make dreams happen. You're doing all that right now. You also were, were a cancer survivor. Was this a part of coming back from that, that you wanted to serve even more? That was part of my awakening, yes. I think that uh, 23 years old, the second time, and I looked at the ceiling and I asked God, why did I hear this word two times associated with my body? I need to know why I'm here. And the, the feeling that got implanted in my heart was, you're here to serve. Now, as a 23-year-old young lady with, you know, at that point, I didn't even have my documents here to be legal in the United States. Mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, I had no money, you know. Yeah. Uh, I lived in a mobile home. I, I was really poor. Not like super poor, but it was really basically survival mode. Sure. And I'm thinking, what can I give? I mean, I have nothing to give. God is asking me to serve. I have nothing to give. I, I thought serving was about money and donating things. Mm-hmm. But then I realized that it was through what I had learned as a little girl that my energy, my positivity, my willingness to help people with an idea, with a thought, with a compliment, that that could be my way of serving. And I started becoming intentional about that. I started becoming intentional about living in the moment and, you know, curating those micro moments of happiness and, and really being intentional about going out of my way to help other people. If I had the connection or if I had a way to, you know, donate a little bit of money or whatever, I'm the first person that, you know, somebody needs a donation. I'm the first person that donates. I'm the first person that shows up and the first person that says, yes, I'll connect you with this person and I'll make it happen, right? Because I'm intentional about my service. And, and I think that's when I just started to discover that you don't need to be rich. You don't need to have all the money in the world. You don't need to do that to live a life of significance. Just so right. I mean, that's what I've been doing. Well, you're going to be continuing doing all this stuff. I can't wait to be published in your book, so thank you very much. I can't wait to see more things you're doing. You always lead with love and service and kindness, and that's why you're such a leader yourself. You know, great to have you here. Thanks for being on Naharan America. Thank you so much. That's all we got for you today. Keep tuning in. Naharan America. We're here when you need us.